what I believe I hear you saying is the following, that there is now kind of like an earth industrial complex and people who formerly may have been in a government position or a senior position in civil society are now finding a way to create a profit. And in order to create a profit, they are cultivating narratives that are profitable as opposed to narratives that might actually reflect outcomes that we'd expect from an international religious freedom movement. Welcome to Crossing Beans, where uh, the, the largest multi-faith podcast uh, out there at, at present, and, and we were the first Muslim Christian podcast ever. Uh, we're in our ninth season. We're in a, the middle of a middle uh, mini-series. Uh, we're heading up to the International Religious Freedom Summit, and uh, I was lucky enough to have Father John Anderson, who's uh, a uh, was is a diplomat and a was an assistant administrator for uh, at USAID uh, with me today. Uh, he's uh, agreed to ask and interview me on, because of my long history with international religious freedom on this, this the second installment of this coming up on the Earth Summit uh, on sort of the status and and of Earth and uh, and where we're going. Welcome, Father John. Hey, thank you for having me, JT. And uh, uh, simply say, having uh, worked overseas, I am waiting to see, feel, and taste the impact of Babka diplomacy. Babka diplomacy. Well, you know, we we uh, we crank out so much babka at the bakery. It's not even funny. You know, it's not even funny now. So it's uh, I have. Uh, I have a kitchen that's almost dedicated specifically to that in the kitchen. Nice. I'm, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> protected nice. under guard. So, but I appreciate that. Yeah, I, Bobka diplomacy has been a hallmark of my career. Even before I was making it, I would walk into, you know, work with White Houses since, since Clinton, and we, I would, I would bring the Bobka in, and they would probe it because it, it, it's organic matter. It, right. And they would probe it to see if it was explosive. And then everyone would say, well, what is? And I go, well, it's a, it's a Russian Jewish secret. And how did you get your hands on it? I go, well, I'm in New York. We know how to get, you know, Bach. It's not a, you know, where, where you're from, you know, it may not be a big thing, but, but where, where we're from, it's, it's a big thing, but, uh, it, we have access. And now because right. of my bakery, we make, uh, one of the best, uh, I guess, Bobkas out there, at least so I'm told. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, in our last podcast, what we covered is we covered some of the background on the International Religious Freedom Act, its purpose and its implications. In this podcast, what we're going to cover is the International Religious Freedom Act, recent execution and some elements of civil society. Uh, as you mentioned yesterday, we've got religious persecution going on throughout the world. Uh, there are some uh, major hubs of violence, if you will. Uh, Myanmar is an area where there's a lot of religious persecution going on, really genocide. Uh, there is a persecution 
going on in Ukraine. There's persecution going on in different parts of the Middle East and then in uh, Western Africa, particularly in Nigeria. So where would you like to take this, sir? In terms of recent execution in civil society, you discussed the growth of the Earth Ministerial turning into the Earth Summit, where it went well, from... Well, well there's, there's still two There's still two elements. The Ministerial still exists. Right. Uh, and and the and the summit is is a is, is was birthed from that and that exists. Um, right. They they've turned into different things. See, the ministerial was it was sort of like you said jettisoned from the United States, which I in the last podcast I said, well, it, it's it's troubling because if you don't have a country who's found that's founded on international freedom or a country that has that in their constitution, um, and I would argue that. You can value religious freedom, but when you come from a, like a homogeneous country, like Sweden, for example, uh, and I'll, I'll pick on the Swedes. So they haven't been a bad boy in Europe since the, the Great Northern War and, and Charles the Fourteenth. So I think I'm safe. Um, they 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 value religious freedom and they value individual freedoms, but they're they're not founded on religious freedom, and they're a homogeneous country They're, by and large it's a it's it's a it's a a, a very um it's not the, the most diverse population when you come to something like, like when you come to a, a country like america founding principles are religious freedom we have our our vast country large population with a continuous stream of immigration um and i'm not making a statement on, on immigration right now uh, right. but, but, the, but, and, and that's gone through the growing pains because there's no shortcut to a democracy. Right. And, and the Republic is all about individual freedom. So it, it, it's troublesome to jettison a con, a concept like at, 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 at uh, the, the ministerial, the international Freedom ministerial to a, to a, to out Southside countries without any, at least oversight or at least any still owning it. Because then it beca- it takes the character of that country, um, and so may- maybe there's nothing wrong with that. But but if you go to to a, a country that is uh, homogeneous, that has that identifies as a uh, you know a a it could be a a a, a sole a single faith state that tolerates the existence of others um and allows it allows the existence of others and and there may not be any prejudicial uh actions taken against the other uh it still changes the narrative um it's not about and so so that that was how we ended the last podcast i said that's a that's a troublesome development okay so i'm gonna ask some questions so we can sort this out a bit are you saying that you are against uh, state-endorsed faith? No. No. Okay. I, All right. I'm, I'm going to cut it short so we can define terms. So are is what you're saying that the nature of the earth ministerial changes because of religious and cultural elements 
changes in a way that uh, makes the outcomes or can make the outcomes substantially different when it is run in a country who uh, may have a state church or has an overwhelming majority of one particular faith group. That it changes. Yes, it does change. And that the outcomes change substantially. So in reality, they may call it the earth ministerial, but the we can't have the same expectations of what's going to come out of that in the United States versus a country with a dominant faith group and or institutionalized faith or religious group. Yes, it does change it. Um, and, and I can give you one what, a really good example of how it changes. We're the only country in the world that sends out report that sends out questionnaires every year um as i mentioned in our in the, in the earlier podcast the previous podcast that we have the united states commission for international religious freedom and which is a quasi-governmental institution and we have uh the internet the, the international religious freedom office of the U.S. department of state we also have other mechanisms in civil society but every year all the countries get these questionnaires uh and they are basically uh documenting uh it, the the international religious freedom status within their country within the rubric that was set out uh in by by urfa international religious freedom Act of 1998. and so we're the only country that does that that measures it uh so and 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 pings the world to ping back on their status plus has all this independent research being done on what's going on, verify you know through the, through media reports and through boots on the ground. You you and I have done some ground assessments of religious right. freedom overseas. It's one of our specialties. So th there's there's an idea uh, of, of there's 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 the export. And like I said, maybe there's nothing wrong with that because then it, it takes a new character. But I also I have a dog, and my dog is a lovable, wonderful dog. But every day is day one for him. He wakes up and he goes, oh my God, I can walk on these. Then he goes, oh my God, there's a bowl full of food. Oh my God, every day is day one for this guy. And I'm lucky that he recognizes me. The, the problem is when you keep starting over again from a new perspective, it, it, you have to, it's day one. And so if you, when, once you jettison something like this, you're, you're losing not only the administrative background, that changes and the administrative uh, bureaucracy behind that and bureaucracy can be a good thing. Um, if you're losing something also the financial support changes and also then the priorities change. It's not religious freedom from a, stand, a standpoint of freedom to believe, to not believe, to change and to choose. It, uh, uh, if it goes to another country that's, that's very homogeneous uh, that identifies as this, then they're going to be looking at it from their perspective. And maybe that's there's nothing wrong with that, but if you turn around and you're saying, well, as a theocracy, uh, religious freedom means this to us, and mm -hmm. we're redefining religious freedom as this, being different than the origins of Urfa. Now, 
you might get some valuable information and you might get actually some valuable um, um, uh, cultural contextualization from that. But that's not really what's happening. Um, th what's happening is, is that a, a, a country that's, that's sort of running the earth, the, the ministerial, is now uh, contextualizing it to their political agenda. And that's that's not the intention behind IRFA. And that's not the intention behind an, the international treaty movement, which then jeopardizes, is one of the factors that is, that is uh, jeopardized the, the, um, but the, any, any positive movement within the, within within the, the religious freedom movement, right? So you have religious free persecutions on the rise. It's been on the rise since IRFA, and there's a number of factors that contribute to that. And this is one of them. So just to clarify the simple question, uh, in no way, shape, or form are you trying to apply that IRFA was a catalyst for any of the increased persecution, for instance. Well, are you? Well, I would argue that the same people that were involved in the ratification of IRFA are still around, still managing IRFA. Okay. So you you have a small group of senior individuals who now have NGOs. And mm -hmm. those those non-governmental organizations aggregate the majority of funds. The majority of funds go to salaries, not funding that goes for the not in the fund that does not outcome for, for the intended purpose, right? It's not used for the intended purpose. And so and uh, so it goes to salaries, and um, and then from there, uh, it it the, the, there's a small senior group of people that haven't uh, that they're gatekeepers, uh, and so they control uh, really the, the the narratives of the Earth movement, and so, so that becomes the sort of business of Earth. And so, and, and it's something I affectionately call the business of Earth. It's we have an NGO, we want it to be financially solvent. Uh, so I'm going to fund, can make sure I aggregate the funds. Uh, you know, I'm senior political, uh, I'm a senior political uh, element within the Beltway. Therefore, I have the context to do so. And then from there, uh, I, I'm going to uh, also, because I'm from a particular faith group, like jettisoning the, the, the ministerial, I'm going to, have my narrative behind that. And so there's a small group of NGOs, there's a small group of, of, of individuals that have been in Earth movement from the beginning. And I would argue that the, the NGOs aggregate a lot, most of the majority of the funds, um, and that this is a provable point. And that the sort of elders of international religious freedom are still, they're still there holding these senior posts. And then they, can, they, they control or interact with the community as such, where they say, I'm going to bring this person in so that I can have I've, I've, uh, this is my lieutenant on, on Islam. This is my lieutenant on Buddhism. This is my lieutenant on this. And they're, you know, they're, they're the good Muslim. They're the good Buddhist. They're the good so-and-so. And so all those, that, that, those mechanisms that are in place, those, these entities that are in place really control the narrative on earth domestically. Uh, and not only that, by by any measure, you could it's of international stream globally, violence, persecution, racism, uh, uh, 
or uh, anything that's implicit, uh, all of those the rubrics that you can use are getting worse every year. And so you have to say to yourself, what are the factors contributing to that? And one of that is it's a small group, small group of NGOs, small group of individuals that that are controlling the, the ways and needs. All right. So if I may, so to uh, paraphrase what you're saying, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. What I believe I hear you saying is the following, that there is now kind of like an earth industrial complex and people who formerly may have been in a government position or a senior position in civil society are now finding a way to create a profit. And in order to create a profit, they are uh, cultivating narratives that are profitable as opposed to narratives that might actually reflect outcomes that we'd expect from an international religious freedom movement. It, be it becomes, so you're correct, it becomes the survivability of the organization and the, um, and the, the highlighting of the organization as a diverse entity, uh, and there's enough or, and, and then having events and, uh, and events that, that, that highlight, uh, international stream. But if you go to these events, um, and, and, and I can, I, I, I can give you some specific examples. If you look at the user, the, the user reports, and you look at the, the, uh, state department reports on international industry, you'll see that since roughly about 2016, uh, roughly around that time, the reports all read the same. You'll see that those reports generally are the sources on the reports are not primary source. Uh, the sources are, are secondary or tertiary sources. You'll find that the uh, NGOs will have, the NGOs will have programming overseas uh, but generally it's one, one or two individuals. Uh, and you'll start to find out if you scratch the surface that the individuals are, uh, that the programming, if you say, if you say, what's going on, what's, how are you advocating overseas? What are you doing? It's a lot of meetings, a lot of engagement, a lot of, of, uh, which is, is an essential piece, but then there's, there, there will be writing about their engagement. They'll be writing about uh, uh, the the uh, the presence in the country rather than programming that actually produces outcomes and outputs. And so meetings is an out you know you meetings and engagement can be an outcome and output, but if there's no end to it, there's no advocacy towards an international industry or air intervention, then that's a problem. All right, that so. Let me, uh, if I may, so what I hear you saying, tell me if this is correct or not, is now at uh, these events, ostensibly the Earth Summit as well, you have a uh, presentation, a facade, if you will, of diversity, but in actuality, they represent 
particular specific groups and ideas as opposed to uh, authentically or objectively represent, representing religious freedom as an issue that's to be actualized worldwide. Is that correct or not? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Then and then to and then also a lot of these organizations uh they would measure their impact more in terms of meetings versus local outcomes. Does that make sense? Local measurable outcomes. Is that correct? That's correct. You know, here's here's the thing is that you have religious persecution. So, so this is what it's turned into. You have what I call the business of earth. There's religious persecutions on the rise. Uh, it doesn't matter who is who is persecuted more. But what the priority has been is to is to jockey for positioning on who's persecuted more, not necessarily mitigate persecution. Because if you can demonstrate that you're the most persecuted or that you're the leader of persecution, you can aggregate funds. So that's one. Two is that when you go to a lot of these events or you, you interact with a lot of these, a lot of these people, the stories, that the, what you get is anecdotal information rather than bringing data to evaluate where the priority and policy, where the, the, the policy and programming priorities should be. And so if you don't, and there's been a hefty amount of pushback on bringing data to uh, evaluate Earth. Uh, I even mentioned that I mentioned earlier the reports, the USERF reports and the the, the kind of state reports. A lot of it's anecdotal. A lot of it's secondary attrition issues. And then you have uh, a a if you look at any of the awards on international industry, any of the, the award ceremonies that happen, there's quite a few of them. You look at a lot of the speakers and you ask, what have they done? You're going to find out that many of them haven't even been in the, have ever been in the field. You'll find that they're involved in the earth because they fit into the narrative of either diversity or fit into the narrative of being able to uh, articulate the anecdote and they dealt really, really well. Uh, there's a young lady, I can't remember her name, I want to say Ibrahim, who wrote a book called Shackled. She's a Muslim, African Muslim, and she was persecuted and now she's a, she's a Christian. And she wrote a book called Shackled. It's a terrible story about how, about slave, about essentially slavery, modern day slavery. And uh, what a wonderful example of religious persecution, right? But it, it's it, she's she she spoke at two two or summits ago, or summits ago. And when you look at it on the surface, you go, "Cup, what a wonderful what a story about religious persecution and and the suffering and her survivability and." It's a profound story of her survival. But what it really is a story of is human trafficking. And what it really is a story of is about uh, oppression of her because of gender. 
And the Muslims, Muslims in, in this in this story, are the people doing the impressive. When she was speaking at the at the Earth Summit two years ago, it was more about bashing Islam than it was about international religious freedom. And the issue, she wasn't persecuted because of her religion. She was persecuted because there was a, a, a it was it was a slavery issue. Right? It was a everyone was being enslaved in that region at that time. And if you were female, it was going to happen. Um, so, so I, I think the challenge, uh, the, the, the beauty of the story is she found Christianity during that process. And, and that saved her. And that's beautiful. And I'm Muslim, so I don't, I don't, I don't see a problem with that. And then I'm a religious freedom advocate. But this, that's the, that's the story. Um, and so, the, the, if you're sitting, if you're sitting in an audience and you want to talk about religious freedom and operationalize freedom of religion and belief for those that are being persecuted, it, it's 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 important. If you you want you want tools, you want stories that inspire instead of. But in that case, it was an inspirational story about conversion and survivability, uh, but not a, a, a story about religious persecution. I, all right, I I believe I understand your point. Uh, so where are we now in the United States? It's twenty twenty four. Uh, there are actually um, uh, recently, I think the State Department put out its countries of particular concern, and uh, there are some notable absences in terms of international attention on issues. Uh, the these organizations that you're speaking about who've kind of uh, made an industrial com my words industrial uh, complex about earth do they have well I'll put it to you this way without the earth ministerial by the US government okay do they have a responsibility to objectivity. How about that? They, 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 so they do have a responsibility to objectivity. Uh, spoke about in the last podcast about how Ambassador Brownback was key to being to to being appointed. It was a key movement uh, to in the in the right direction. Because as the Earth Ambassador, as a pluralist who happened to be Catholic and not clergy, that changed the the, the matrix of that analysis. You still had to do something, right? So the challenge, part of the challenge behind all of this is that a lot of the information, the, a lot of the processes, to, a third of it is this small cadre of elders stewarding the religious freedom movement and their NGOs aggregating. Mm -hmm. The second third is is this idea of no data, right? Um, and and the the, it's the 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 decisions are made anecdotally or by entities or individuals of influence. And the last third is what you're talking about. You're saying is there a responsibility objective to objectivity? And the answer is yes, but the but the, there's there's not enough innovation going on. So 
is is another meeting, is another seminar, is there another word ceremony? Uh, is there value in that? Sure. Uh, uh, but that's really sort of the top, the tip of the pyramid rather than the operational elements. And so a good example of this is that religious freedom is measured from a Western perspective, right? It's from a, a, an international religious freedom perspective from a Western perspective. There's contextualized models that, that, that are experimental at this stage that, that need to be implemented so that we can measure international religious freedom or religious freedom issues from, uh, with the influential Muslim perspective or Buddhist perspective or from a, you know, an animist perspective that gives us a more robust way of measuring international religious freedom. And, and, but also the idea of being able to take a look at beyond the anecdotal stories, right? So in a conflict zone like Afghanistan, international religious freedom is an issue. Uh, and, and so, but the question is, how do you, de how do you really define whether an individual or organization or, or, or community is getting persecuted when conflict is happening? If conflict is being is, is on the rise in a country like Afghanistan, where it's cyclical, you know, it comes out, it's, it, it rises and falls because it's a country in transition, then you have to measure violence, for example, let's just say that's, the, that's, you know, issues of violence or issues of persecution across the board. And if, it, if, if one particular population was, was, was uh, on the receiving end of violence or persecution, uh, or uh, you have to figure out, okay, is that population receiving that specifically, or is it everybody across the board? And so, and because then you have to, then you turn around and say, well, is, and then they say, is it a religious freedom issue or did the Taliban or Daesh just invade that area, you know, and hit everybody. And so the, there's a, there's a challenge in how we're measuring international religious freedom. And then there's the objectivity of it all. If you're walking into it with the idea that you want an outcome to prove that Muslims are the most persecuted or, or Christians are the most persecuted or, or so forth. You're really not walking into the conversation uh, with objectively, and then the, the runs to the question: of, Can the information that you're utilizing or that you're pushing be uh, uh, respected to make decisions on policy and funding? So I understand that, and I would I would say as an Orthodox Christian, my concern wouldn't be who's the most persecuted; it would be. What are the best ways to facilitate a resolution and end to the persecution and facilitate a society that allows them to uh, worship freely with the same rules, so to speak, at rules, obligations, freedoms, and restrictions that everybody else holds? Uh, and I'm just saying that from my uh, personal perspective. But to go back to what we've got going on in uh, two weeks, or a little less, the Earth Summit. So what would you say, since the head of the Earth Summit uh, is somebody that you helped to get nominated as Earth Ambassador, uh, kicked off Earth Ministerial, and now is, you know, 
uh, one of the two major faces of the Earth Summit. What would you say former Earth Ambassador Brownback's responsibility is to objectivity conducting the Earth Summit, particularly as they do tie it, in a manner of speaking, as the American successor to the Earth Ministerial? I think the, 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 the way to look at it, or the way to sort of answer the question is, what have you, it, my, my, my aunt would say, that was yesterday, this is today. That's a Chalmers slurry phrase in my family, right? So if, if you do something, you know, if you're, you, if you talk about yourself or talk about this or talk about the family, they say, that was yesterday, this is today. In other words, what have you done for me lately, right? So right. With, when it comes to something like this, you can't take away from Ambassador Roundback a number of things. One is, he does, their summit is, is, is an accomplishment. It's a meeting uh, of international religious freedom individuals uh, from all over the world. There, I would argue that uh, you you know anybody can show up, but it is like a conference, so you do have to pay. Um, and there are um, sort of elements within. Go ahead, sir. No, there are elements within. Within the um, uh, within the uh, um, the, the Earth, Earth Summit that are very, very, I think, valuable. Just from the idea of, of congregating people to talk about international issues, but you know, the, you, you, there are people that there are individuals that sponsor the lunches. There's you know, there's a there's a sponsorship, and and of course, all these entities need to be you know need to pay for their their work, right? But you're going to go to if you went if you went to the summit three years ago uh, and, and two years ago and you've been to the summit now or three years ago and now because I think it's three years ago you're going to see that the, the same is very specific about ninety percent speakers are the same you're going to see that um, if you talk about that this that everybody has really great uh, narratives and resumes but there's very few practitioners that have been on the ground. And have worked with programming year after year, slugging it out to advocate for religious for religious freedom issues and and constituencies. You're going to find out that I, the if you if you go to the so what and what now, how are you affecting lives? Um, how are you affecting individuals? And how are you affecting people of uh, that believe or don't believe that want to change and choose in a positive manner? Uh, that would be it. it you, you, you'd be hard pressed to find answers. Can't take away from Ambassador Brownback the idea that he started the ministerial, started their summit. But now this is, if, since he's accepted the mantle of making this his career to hereafter, it, it, then then the question would be: Is what is your, what, how are you going, how are you measuring your uh, your success and? And so, is it just having our summit every year? Is it this? Is it using the same talking points? Yes, where there's persecutions on 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 the rise. It's on the rise on his watch. Um, I think being more critical, for example, of not only Ambassador Brownback or but anyone in the leadership position uh, is is important. We have an ambassador large of international freedom right now, first Muslim ambassador for international freedom, and if you 
if you're going to ask what has been done in that office at present, you're going to be hard-pressed to find anything of substance. Not advocating and stepping in, not mobilizing faith groups, not, uh, for example, with Ukraine, uh, mobilizing faith groups to coordinate humanitarian systems. That might be a that might be a good thing as a as a as the ambassador for international dispute. Um, and I'm riffing a little bit, but he's there's there's and there's no secret agenda. So I've spoken with the office. They say, "Wow, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes." Your government office that you're not a part of the national security matrix, at least not not plugged in in the sense that uh, I mean you are part of the American government, but you're not plugged into the IC, the intelligence community, or the DOD. So you can actually, your, your job is to be a spokesperson. Your job is to motivate and mobilize groups. And you would find that that office has done very little to affect international industry in a positive way. And so I, you, I think holding the individuals more accountable uh, for outcomes and outputs that are in, they're in leadership positions uh, be very critical on where the money's going and how it's being spent, and continuously looking at the rubric, the way in which we measure international freedom would be a smart way to go about uh, um, affecting change in a positive manner for persecuted peoples all over the world. You know, the events are wonderful, the wars are wonderful, all that stuff is. But I always, whenever I see something with that, I go, well, what? I'll, I'll go, I say, so tell me what you're working on now. And, you know, there's such as one individual who's in country. So what are you working on now? And he goes, well, I'm working on my PhD. I go, but you're, are you, aren't you in country? He goes, yeah, but I'm working on my PhD. I go, well, how are you working on your PhD? I'm working full time in country. He goes, well, I'm, you know, and I, I, I have my family too that's in country. So, you know, it's, we're, we're very, very busy. And I go, so what's, what's the outcomes and outputs for your programming? And he goes, well, we're, we're doing, we're conducting a lot of meetings and we're, filling out a lot of reports and we're doing this. And so we're, we're really just trying to make sure that the people back in the United States understand what we're doing. And then I'll go, I, I said, and this is, this is a conversation. Go, yeah. Well, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you affecting? How are you affecting change? And there wasn't an answer. And that's a typical way in which I think, um, the, the industry is operating. And so as someone who's been in the field and spent quite a bit of time in the field, and advocating for multiple multiple faith groups, it's disturbing that there's not there should be an army of individuals in the field, and and then once or twice a year everybody kind of convenes and shares information, and then and then it goes out, and then there should be the oversight entities that are measuring international freedom and getting as much primary source documentation as possible, so that we can make decisions on policy that's appropriate, make decisions on where funding goes that's appropriate, and there's a lot of funding. There's $50 million uh, executive order uh, for international freedom. There's uh, roughly about $600 million uh, in international industry and funding in, in various bureaus, Department of State, USA, DOD, and so forth. So there's there's quite a bit of funding out there. And so with that type of funds, you, it, you, you, it, there's the, the question of what are we getting for the, what value are we getting for the money? And, and is the taxpayer... If you're going to hold, if you go, how is the taxpayer, how can you justify the taxpayer the stuff that the funds that are being spent? 
So I'm uh, grateful for your explanation on that. And the I'm going to go back to part of the original question. So when we look at something, the summit in particular, with Ambassador Brownback or at its head, you believe that there there is a responsibility on his part and on the part of the summit itself to objectively and accurately address international religious freedom issues worldwide. Is that correct? I think that's a, that's an important element. Um, it, and, look, look, it, you know, that's what Earthful was formed. It wasn't supposed to look at domestic issues. International right. Freedom Act of 1990 was supposed to be international. And there's a lot of, there's a, been a turn, it's turned the corner and to, to include domestic issues, which is troublesome. Yeah. And uh, I would say it's troublesome that it's necessary, but it seems necessary. The uh, Then the other question I have is, is that so if we're, we have an expectation out of the Earth Summit, then the second thing is, is that what types of products or outcomes should we expect from nonprofit organizations or for-profit organizations that receive Earth funding? And would the Earth Summit be a good place to examine and aggregate those outcomes? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll go back. Uh, that's the, I'll, I'll address both points. I think one is the Earth Movement was very healthy when you kept domestic faith issues out of out of out of Bursa. Um So, a lot of the issues we have here in country when it comes to coming cause of religious freedom are very different than the intent of freedom of of Urfa. And so it was it, it, to be looked out look outward was was the intent. Um, so I, th I think that's that's one that's why I just wanted to make that one point. The second thing is I don't think the Earth Summit is I think the Earth Summit is very successful at what it's what it's doing. It's 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 building a, a community of concern around gathering people that gathering institutions and, and people around the narrative of Earth. And I think it's very successful in that. I think it's very. I think. I think that's its intended purpose. Uh, I don't. I would dis. I wouldn't. I think it could be a force multiplier for uh, designing policy and and forward and forwarding issues that could be funded for programming overseas. But I'm not sure that's its intent. The intent is to showcase uh, individuals uh, that have opinions about Earth uh, and. Its intent is for those entities and individuals to maintain uh, their status within the Earth community, um, and they it's a it's a well funded event now. So and those funds do go somewhere. So I think it's a very successful at what it's intended to do. The business of Earth is 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 very is is. Is a flur it's a flourishing business, right? It's a flourishing economy. You don't need all this stuff 
right? So you can very easily hold uh, a bachelor product's a private citizen. So, you know, private citizens can do whatever they want. They can run their own business, uh, much like all these individuals that have their NGOs. Um, they can run their, their, their tax exempt businesses uh, and, and they can do as much or as little as they want. But it's the, when it comes to the government institutions that were, that are funded by IRFA, so USHRIF and the, the, the State Department, uh, IRFA office, that's where they're, they're, they're the leadership. And the Earth Summit symbolizes how weak the Earth movement has to, the international exchange movement has, has become. Yusuf does not speak with authority uh, to, uh, it doesn't speak with authority over Earth as well as, as, well as the Earth office. Ambassador Brownback is the, the most vocal speaker on Earth. And he's a private citizen. There's an ambassador at large of international industry right now. There's five commissioners at USER. And Ambassador Brownback is, the, is the, the loudest speaker. He's a private citizen, which means that he can do as much or as little as he wants with Earth. And so holding our government institutions accountable for their mission that they're charged with I think is number one most important thing to do. I think they are the most they they can have the most impact, uh, and it's very very easy. It's let's fortify those reports. Let's really go through the pages and make sure that that we're updating these reports every year appropriately with new information. Let's make sure that we're taking an objective view of international issues globally. We might have to put the Saudis in there. You know, we might have to do that. Uh, we might have to have to talk about since the issue of, of religious, international religious freedom since the last ten years is to figure out who's the most persecuted. Maybe we should address that issue. Maybe we should figure that out um, and 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 start ranking what who are the most persecuted groups and where. You know, is is it just Christians or is it is it Orthodox Christians in the Middle East? <laughs> yeah, uh, do we look at uh, country specific issues and then say, well, here's, here's the policy records and the policy records are realistic and the policy records for the next five years and then change or 10 years and change them at every year as you update the reports. Um, it, the earth summit, because it is a private, private entity, because it's a private event has the ability to mobilize the citizenship to hold those institutions accountable. Instead, I think that the, that the Earth Summit is more in partnership with maintaining uh, a a sort of general lays of well, this persecution is on the rise. We need to figure it out. Um, let's have this event uh, and let's let's hear some of these people speak. But then the, there's no so what what now because the, everyone in that room cares about religious freedom but may not know. Or may not may not have been part of, or may not know how to be a part of, uh, affecting religious persecution globally or specifically uh, with effect, uh, and and that's 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 kind of I, I have sort of roundabout way of answering your question. It could be valuable 
but I'm not sure of it is right now. Um, and it, it's only valuable if it if it's affecting our government institutions that are charged with this mission uh, to do what they're uh, responsible for. To be clear, you're specifically talking about the Earth Summit, right? Yeah, the Earth Summit is the largest gathering of 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 individuals on Earth um, in the world, as far as I know, uh, and. They, they're not, it's not so much about holding the offices accountable. It's not so much about affecting change as it is talking about Earth and showcasing the elders of Earth and the NGOs of Earth.